Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my bra-only wearing, lovely road-tripping partner. Ooh, Alex Dandino. <laughs> Did you get the vapors? Do you need a moment? To Ooh, I've got a touch of the vapors. All right, gather your thoughts, Lindsey Graham. We got a show. To <laughs> Ooh, topical, topical politics, humor. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. So me and Alex this has been a, a long fucking sojourn uh, through the incredibly unusual filmography and headspace that is Nicolas Cage. It has been awesome. It is really a fun treat to just kind of pay homage to this most favorite actor of ours. Yeah. And in doing this, too, you find a time to sit and really think about what you like about them the most. And then you pick some movies to research and you just hone in on it so specifically. Yeah. The things you love about him. I love Nicolas Cage more now than I did one month ago. And that has been the delight of this. Yeah. It's sad that like we're at this point because I feel like I'm just getting into like how to watch Nicolas Cage movies and like how to (laughs) analyze him within the confines of the movie he's in. And now we're ending and I'm like, damn it. Like, especially, yeah. especially this movie. Like, this was the one where I was like, oh, shit. Like, I'm, like, really in on honing in on, like, how to analyze Nick Cage in a flick. Yeah. And, okay, so the movie we chose is Wild at Heart. Um, I picked this one early just because David Lynch, to me, is the perfect director to do a Nicolas Cage movie. Yes. So... I remembered liking Wild at Heart. I my I was over the moon with this viewing of this. Um, it is this is the weird thing though, right? Is is Cage and Lynch bring out a lot of the best in each other, and it does all the great David Lynch hallmarks, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of rooted in this, you know, small people with big problems weirdness. Uh, you know, it has this insane style. It's never afraid to kind of break and deviate from norms. The the pacing of these things are often very odd and jarring to keep you on the edge of your seat. Yeah. But at the end of the day, this is a somewhat easy to understand uh, romantic fairy tale that is somewhat optimistic, which is not very David Lynch like. Oh yeah, as far as David Lynch goes, this might be his most contained narrative I've ever seen. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. And this includes like, you know, there's this there's no lesbians up on a mountain in L.A. There's nobody huffing. Uh, there's nobody. There's nobody. You don't have Dennis Hopper and the Hopper in the corner huffing uh, nitrous. You know, it's just it's a street. You don't have little people in red curtains and trees with human heads. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. No. You know, it's, it's a movie. It's an it, actual. It's normal like, movie. You know, it's like an actual film. It's we're not trying to you know, we're not doing anything crazier. It's it's a really fascinating movie to watch because, quite frankly, the thing that I pull from it the most is that this is the movie that like Nicolas Cage belongs in. Like it's a fascinating thing to see Nicolas Cage in this movie because this is the style of filmmaking he's built to act in. It's really fat. It's really interesting. Yeah. Well, one of the things I noted watching it is what those of us who love David Lynch and he is among my favorite filmmakers. Um, He's he's often challenging, right, on kind of a big artistic level. He yeah. he 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 always is going to do it his way and sometimes that leaves people scratching their heads and he's not one to specifically answer questions about it. Right. I think that's that's cool if you're doing it right. Like you have to have a faith and belief that David Lynch isn't just bullshitting you. Right. 
Um, what I love about David Lynch movies the most, though, is I feel like he populates his world with such fascinating characters. Yeah, there's never. And, I, this is one thing I've always noticed about Nick, about not Nicholas Cage, about David Lynch movies is that there are no extraneous characters in the movie. Like this isn't no. a thing where there's like, oh, there's a background character here and a background character here. Like, no, everybody is important, even if they die towards the beginning of the movie or they die at the <laughs> end or die in the middle or literally you never see them again. Like, no, always important. Like, like to me, this, that character for this movie is like, it's kind of Isabella Rosalini, the uh, Perdita character. Like mm. there's all these little characters. that sort of who he was dating at the time. I believe yeah, so I very think he strange. was too, but like <laughs> he's very into the characters and that's how you move the story forward. Like it's really, a fascinating way to make movies without like any extra like, Oh, we have to have this guy here. Who's not important. Like there's no extras. It's all set pieces. Right. It's really well, interesting. It's, it's very much how the Coen brothers do it. Right. Every yes. character, if they have a line to speak, they, them and David Lynch, the best people, they find a way to give them some kind of quirk or easily memorable tick that yeah. makes them worth being on screen. Um, yeah. But I mean, just the ease that, Nicolas Cage has, who's somewhat playing kind of the classic subdued but broken outside of the law but wants to be a normal man yeah. character. So it's it's this Nicolas Cage role where he's playing essentially just Nicolas Cage, <laughs> and he feels so absolutely perfectly at home amongst David Lynch characters. Yeah. And to me, that might be the best testimony of who he is as an actor, is that if you if you told me in his real life he was just partying with like the log lady and a racer head, you'd be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. To me. <laughs> He's probably having a great time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if you told me David Lynch spends his days chewing gum in a red room with a midget, like that's like I'd be like, sure, that makes total sense. Yeah, but if you told, or I'd say that's a little weird. But if you told me that Nicolas Cage was also there talking about how great his snakeskin jacket was, I'd be like, yeah. Well, now you're just making way too much sense. I am literally, <laughs> I'm floored by the logic of this scene. Like. I think actually that opening with Nicolas Cage speaking on his snakeskin jacket might be the most that might be the microcosm of Nicolas Cage for me. Like that little bit right there is a great like if you needed to definitively show and I know we talked about this of this like definitive Nicolas Cage moment. But now that we've seen Wild at Heart, I can think I can say that that beat might be the moment I'm like, oh, you could show that to anyone and be like, this is the actor that Nicolas Cage is. And people are like cool I'll, I'll watch more some more of his work like that right. is so indicative of who he is like it's such a ham-fisted beat of him like describing his snakeskin jacket but have i told you that this represents my individuality <laughs> and strong yeah. personal belief in like, what is it personal freedoms yeah like it's a shocking <laughs> like watching it i was like okay so that is clearly uh exposition good to know thank you very much right. but in the hands of nicholas cage it becomes this like <laughs> mission statement for the character and you're like Huh, he really likes that snakeskin jacket. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because to me, the opening scene of this movie, right, might be the perfect. To me, that would be the hallmark Nicolas Cage. Like, I could give you this and I'll show you everything Nick Cage, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's this guy kind of stumbling around and he's walking with his girlfriend, Laura Dern, right? Lula. So, Sailor and Lula are walking down the stairs. This, you know, kind of creep comes up, right? And he's. Yeah. Looks like he might assault Laura Dern's character, and then he comes up to say, he's like, trying to fuck, fuck your girlfriend's mommy in the bathroom, you dirty boy. <laughs> Talking like real creep. And then, you know, essentially, she paid me to kill you. He whips out a knife. So we go from, you know, this 
kind of jazz. It's almost like the Outlook hotel party that the ghosts have, you know? <laughs> so it's a real kind of like class upper upper crust affair, right? With sure, the, sure, the jazz, yeah. Muzak, whatever. Mm-hmm. When Nicolas Cage get the guy whips out a knife on him <laughs> after these kind of this weird introduction. And one thing they do a lot in this movie, which I don't know if I understand exactly why, but it's Laura Dern just screaming, Sailor! Yeah. But she's like wailing it, right? Like it's like Brandon, Brando Stella. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> okay. Because she does it all the time. Every time she addresses him for sometimes even fairly silly reasons. Right, right. But, <laughs> but so as he's about to get attacked, we cut from this music to this awesome heavy metal riff. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> I and, and love the music ensues. in this movie, man. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so it. good. But a, a fight ensues, right? Where Nicolas Cage is whooping this guy, bashes his skull into like you know brain soup on the floor. Yeah, throws the guy up against the wall for good measure. Lights a cig, and then looks up, flips the hair back, and the bloody, shaky finger point staring right at his uh you know could be mother in law. <laughs> And I was like, that's all I need to know. Like, you can turn the movie off. I love everything about this, and Nicolas Cage is God. It's amazing. Like, <laughs> it's the Nicolas Cageiest Nicolas Cage. I mean, again, you well, can. No, wa- that's the thing. Like, break it down, right? It's a guy who's at this upper crust soiree. Yeah. You're like, how the fuck did he even get here or on the list? That's He Nicolas seemingly Cage. made it far enough. Right. Then fights to the death, lights a cig, and points at this old lady like, fuck, you're in, you're next. There's so much going on, and it's but to Nicolas Cage, it's just another day. It's another day. Like he's <laughs> like there's that there's that time where Charlie Sheen was all about like you know dragon blood and all that stuff. No, that's Nicolas Cage, man. Nicolas Cage survived. Nicolas Cage created dragon blood and and bathes in it daily. Like well, no, Charlie Sheen does cocaine all day, praying to be Nicolas Cage. Exactly. Like, Nicolas Cage just wakes up like that every it, fucking day. That is Nicolas Cage through and through. Like it's, oh, I, I I wrote it down too. I was like, has there ever been a movie that Nicolas Cage didn't belong in more? Like maybe Raising Arizona. But this is so built like the the world of David Lynch is so built for Nicolas Cage to show up in and just be completely normal. Because, again, right. Like, that's a great opening scene. And again, though, this movie is pretty mundane for what we're we've come to expect from David Lynch. Like there's no like <laughs> there's no dead calves or, you know, anything weird that we're used to seeing, like. Other than like, there is a lot of head splatter in this movie. Like, well, I, okay, that I would say this, right? Like, I think it's actually on the low key. It's one of the more kind of scary Lynch movies. Yeah, in a weird way. There's a lot more kind of real world sadness and tragic people. Yeah, I well, think it, there's that shell of when you see something like an eraser head or mm-hmm. this and that. Even Elephant Man, right? Elephant Man is probably his most full of heart movie sure and it's so fucking endearing and emotional but just that that presence of um the merrick visage right the suit whatever even though that was real it gives you this extra layer to separate right right it's kind of like a frankenstein's monster where yes i understand the moral of the story but there's a monster walking around so i can separate a hair right um this one there's not as much other than some stylistic moments when he's kind of separating you but i mean there's a lot of a lot of creeps in this movie and Lot to of me, creeps. maybe none so much is because this is kind of a it's a love triangle, but between a mother, a lover yeah. and a daughter. Right. That's They're both the, fighting over this daughter. Yeah. 
That's the thing and, that creeps me out the most, man. Diane Ladd is amazing in this movie. I like, didn't remember out. that that was Laura Dern's mom. Yeah. And that was the thing. I well, no, had totally forgotten she was in the movie. I'm like, man, Diane Ladd works with Laura Dern a lot for like being a mother-daughter <laughs> thing. Like They work together a lot. Well, it's funny because they were talking about their scenes in the movie when they're getting super emotional and they're like, it was cutting them extra deep because the you know Diane Ladd was like, oh, I could look in her eyes in the way she was emoting, I knew which tragic memory she was like feeding off of. Ugh. And I was like, that's too much. That's, that's, way, that's too much. See, that's like, that's mom, that you're thing going where, in a home. Sorry. <laughs> that's that thing where no longer it's acting like you're getting deep, way too yeah. deep into like, Oh, this is just me being real. And like, I'm just exposing my trauma. You're like, Oh dear God. Like, no, 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 don't do that. Go back to the acting. No, Meisner, this shit, something, anything. Yeah. It's, but her character in the movie is by far my favorite, right? Diane Ladd. Yeah. Yeah. Because there, there's this, they do so much with her that is amazing. But essentially what this is, is this is a woman who has committed at least one enormous sin that she seemingly can't escape or get over. Right. And everything she does is so funny, right? Because the whole thing is her putting on this front, this southern debutante front, seemingly. Right. Well, she is barely holding it together at the seams, right? The the inner lie is trying so desperately to escape. And watching her as she's on her way to melt down, trying to kind of control um, Harry Dean Stanton's character, but especially trying to control Lula. Right. There, it, There's a part of them where you don't know why she's doing that, and it almost feels as if She's not doing it just to protect them, right? The logic would be because she's fucked up so bad. If she can keep them on the right path, fine. But there's something extra sinister there, right? It doesn't play noble like that. There's something really fucking demented about her just wanting to kill everyone close to her daughter. Yeah. And I don't think it's to keep her safe and sound, as we see by the end of the movie. Well, then there's that, like, I mean, honestly, there's that the, the flashback they have where um they're like in the in the in the toilet it's a weird scene too because it, it's like intercut with like a close-up of the toilet bowl and i almost had a little, <laughs> yeah. i felt a little bit of, i'm like diane lads coming on awful strong for a dude who's with his daughter like this is getting oh no a, she's she's thirsty for a sailor yeah, for she's sure. she's thirsty for a taste of the cage but, like, okay that's but for this sure. is the thing right this is what sets up that first like heavy metal staircase fight yeah she goes in the bathroom drunk and is like, you know, fuck me. I want to fuck you. Ah, 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 right. Fuck your girlfriend's mama. So she's aware that it's weird and taboo. Right. She knows he has a criminal past of sorts. What we find out later is that he may or may not have witnessed her, you know, worst criminal act of her life. Right. Not necessarily the only, but definitely the worst. The one that seemingly is unraveling her. Right. And to me, that scene that you pointed at, that's that's the one where you kind of see her underlying motivation, which is. I think she sees her daughter as this version of herself that could still make it and be happy. Right. And she's constantly reminded of how bad she's fucked up. Right. And through all of the, the clothes and the makeup and they always show her these long talon fingernails. Right. Right. Everything about her is fake and manipulating and a facade that I think underneath she's so fucking torn and destroyed that this girl, her daughter, might have found something true and good. And I think it fucking unravels her. So that's her mission to me, which plays so sinister because it's done in this weird mommy dearest kind of way where like there's the there's the scene, right, where they just kind of casually throw in a sexual assault. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's nothing. Um, Uncle Pooch raped her, right? And she sees it. Yeah. And this is the crazy part, right? Lula doesn't, she thinks that her mom didn't know anything about it. Right. Right? Or that's what she says. Mama didn't know about that. Yeah. Next thing we know, Uncle Pooch is dead. His car brakes didn't work, and he blew up in an accident. We know Mom did it. For sure. She saw him and chased him out of the room. Right. Does Lula not remember that? Does she have some kind of, like, memory dissociation because of the incident? Was her mom her shining knight, so she didn't want to admit that her mom was bad? So there's this weird kind of mental break that she admits to there. I think it's – I mean – I thought the whole time it was just she was blocking it out because then the it, then that later scene with uh, Bobby Peru, like where he like tries to get down, like that yeah. was I was like, this is like she's having like a PTSD moment. Yeah, like that's yeah. where I think a lot of that comes from. So I mean, yeah, yeah. Wow, you're right. This is a really odd mo- movie for David Lynch to make because this does deal with like serious wor- real world problems. Like, See, one's, I mean, I, and that's the thing. I think a lot of his do, but it gets so buried beneath the David Lynchness of it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. Like, this is a strange choice for David Lynch. Not because like he can't make a good movie or make a movie out of something normal, so to speak. Not normal, but normal in the way that, like, you know, not not in the way a racer head is normal. But right. um, <laughs> it's such a strange thing for him to decide to like put his coat of David Lynchian stuff on. Because he's really, again, like there are, you're right, there are real world consequences to a lot of this stuff that kind of is awkwardly coming up a lot of the time. It's really fascinating how he does it. But then, yeah, like you throw in like these characters like, uh, it's like Santos and um, all these other, like Santos, Bobby Peru, Perdita, like all these other little characters that kind of pepper in that have their own little thing. Mm -hmm. And it almost becomes like you were saying this, like, romantic fantasy almost it's kind of it's it's really yeah, but that's that's what i mean this movie is so much more princess bride yeah you know what i mean than like a tarantino movie which especially kind with all of the voiceover you know and there's like so much there's a lot of voiceover there like that <laughs> that story about dell about jingle dell jingle, jingle dell oh my right. god well jingle dell is a great example right because he is the same as the mom but he can't hide it yeah right yes so his, his is that he cloaks himself in this this garb of santa because it's the joyful happy time and because of that society deems him this deviant because he just wants to be that happy clean guy to where you know he's putting cockroaches on his anus and he's making sandwiches and smushing them god only knows what he did to those sandwiches right also before you could even see his face like i heard i couldn't see his face like in the scene where he's in the bathroom i couldn't see his face i'm like it's got to be crispin glover (laughs) yeah Yeah. I mean, he—he's a guy who's a bit typecasted. <laughs> I've never like, had oh, that. We need one actor in Hollywood who can most outwardly portray a cockroach on the ace hole. <laughs> Get me Glover! Get me Glover! Get him on the phone! Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but that's what I mean, man. Like that is a great. That is one of the Jingle Dell is a peak David Lynch character. Yeah. And that's what he does so well. Like I said, it, it's normal, small people seemingly. With these fucking big problems. Yeah. Right? And how they have trouble in society. What makes the mom character in this movie so fascinating is that she seemingly outwardly has everything, right? She's rich. She's well done up. She's, you know, good looking. Obviously has money. But, like, the scene when she's looking in the mirror 
just like you know it's like the lipstick suicide and then the lipstick war paint right this woman is all the way unraveling and can't confront the image in the mirror right this this false version of herself which with what is destroying her from the inside right and that's that's one of those things that normally in a david lynch movie that character shows that in a kind of a more quirky manner yeah that's a seriously dark and heavy moment that this character is going through well there's always in these lynch movies there's all like the characters who have gone through something heavy like serious like people who have had serious trauma like that like i also would put dennis hopper in that category because clearly dennis hopper has some serious problems in blue velvet but their quirk is i mean his is like huffing gas and like you know paps like, blue <laughs> well like his is like huffing gas like oh, daddy what's the fuck like that's his right. like whole thing and then yeah like hers is this it's peculiar like it feels like she it's weird she wants lula she sends uh she sends Johnny Farragut and this other guy out like it's like she's pushing everyone away and slowly trying to mm-hmm. kill everyone so mm-hmm. that she can have Lula to herself. It's, but I don't even I don't even think it's that. I think it's his death by a thousand cuts. Really? For herself and her daughter, right? Her daughter is the thing that is most constantly throwing in her face what she fucked up. This right. false version she presents, right? Her daughter's a key ingredient in that. Interesting. Um, and she even says she wants to fuck sailors. So she's clearly not that worried about him being around one of the women. It's just this kind of innocence of her, you know. But that the thing about the mom, too, is that unlike a lot of David Lynch characters, she's seemingly struggling with who she is and what she's done. Right. A lot of Lynch characters, to me, represent these kind of very upfront personifications of, you know, these seven deadly sins or whatever you are, right? This this kind of weakness or inner beast of a lot of humans, right? Right, right. So, like, in this movie, you get something like, Harry Dean Stanton might be the most normal David Lynch character ever, right? Fairly, fairly it's quirkless. So, but how it's does he very meet weird. his fate? Yeah. Uh, but that's sorry. what I mean, it, right? So he's like this kind of normal man <laughs> drifting yeah. through the world who feels out of place that's in the, the Lynch movie. And then she... he dies <laughs> to the unibrow crippled lady. And her two kind of boy toys in a scene, which, by the way, I was reading up. David Lynch said there was some extra stuff in this scene, right? Where there is at one point the the crippled unibrow had a long monologue. And after they splattered, yeah, Harry Dean Stanton's brains everywhere, they broke into this super hot and heavy threesome, right? Of like pure orgasmic joy. And he said that the screening audience might have been about 400 people. And one of the producers said about 270 of them got up and walked out. It was like too much, too too aggressive and repulsive. And Lynch looked over to the producer and he's like, do you think we lost them? <laughs> he's like, well, they're not all going to the bathroom. <laughs> but that's what I mean. So this is like the toned down version of Lynch. But that scene is terrifying. Yeah. Not only just that they're assassins, right? And they have like the cool kind of Tarantino, right? assassins paid with silver dollars from Mr. Reindeer who lives in a mansion full of tits all the time. <laughs> right, um, right. You know, just kind of these weird cinema of cool things. But just on a base level, like imagine if that was the last thing you saw on this earth. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, that'd be very troubling, I think. It's, 
it's such a strange man it's this is like but that's like lynch 101 i guess to me is he's dancing with like the normalcy of everything Mm -hmm. like his obsession with the facade of normal over everything and then deep underneath is like the fucking depraved insanity that comes from x y and z like the yeah insanity that comes from like Diane Ladd's a great example like that scene in the bathroom with the war paint stuff like that's the stuff that like like her taking lipstick her painting her face like that's the that's the normal bubbling out like that's the that's the facade lifted and that's when that's why David Lynch is the way that's why David Lynch gets to make the movies he makes because he's obsessed with new Americana like this whole facade of 50s beauty and then deep underneath is this like rotting, festing, festering corpse of shit, and that's yes, where he that is like, probably the best summation of his film theory. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and like, what's interesting <laughs> is he spends so much time in this movie in the muck and mire. But the thing that I lo- love the most about this movie is that he spends so much time in the muck and mire that he almost normalizes it, and then shit like that happens, and you're like, oh wait, it's a David Lynch movie. Okay, cool. So we need yeah. to be confronted with mind-blowing weirdness at pretty much the 10-minute mark every 10 minutes. <laughs> right, but no, like, prime example of, like, a David Lynch moment. We get the first phone call to Mr. Reindeer. Right. And he's like, drop two silver dollars through my door. <laughs> we cut back, and there's a girl doing, like, a titillating hula. Right. While he's taking a shit and sipping tea. And I'm like, of course, because he's a, a David Lynch character. God damn it, like... <laughs> <laughs> Who would do any of those things? Not one of those things should be in the same room, right? Like, that's three separate rooms of a house. And right. he's like, let's condense it all to let you know exactly who this guy is. Right. <laughs> but then what I like about the movie, though, right, is while this is all happening, right, the the unibrow crippled murderer and Bobby Peru, for the love of God, Mr. Reindeer, at the core of it, there is this just truly fully in love couple, right? Mm-hmm. They're so in sync. And, and this movie... It's insanely fucking sexy, right? And it, and it, yeah. it feels like an environment where it, a lot of the things in the movie should be <laughs> repulsing you, right? To where sexy doesn't come in. Right. But Cajun Dern, I mean, this is one of the hottest on-screen romances I've ever seen. They're so fully bought in and committed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a believable, like you said, Raising Arizona earlier, and this has a lot of those kind of same elements, mm-hmm. but their romance in that movie feels almost out of desperation and whatever Th- right. this romance they feel fully oh, yeah. integrated as one being this is like you hot, know hot passionate thelma and louise like oh it's just yeah natural you know, born killers natural but, born you killers, know believable yeah. it's like it's just it's sweaty and anytime you've ever oh, seen a movie with like just a two-hander with a man and woman who are just like madly in love for no reason other than just like and i mean not to put too fine a point on it but just like no other reason than like pure scintillating passion that is literally like that's the definition of what Dern and Cage are bringing to the screen, and I think she's oh like, yeah she's amazing, man. Like man, I mean it. They wow. just pour it off the screen. Like, and I never really considered <laughs> her like that. Like, she's not an actress that I like seek out for that kind of thing. And I don't think a lot of that. I don't think a lot of directors do either. But holy shit, man, she is. Well, no, because just... I grew up. She was a scientist. She right, was Ellie yeah. Sadler. She's right, Ellie she was Sadler. gonna tell me about leaves and was digging in poop. Right, and then all of a sudden you're like. <laughs> Oh, my God. Like, I was laying on the couch, sprawled out, you know, like, overweight dad, like, slob. But all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, I'm getting the Lindsey Graham vapors. Woo! <laughs> yeah, no, I mean? she, I mean, she was just like, 
every scene too like she has this like fire engine red lipstick on her hair is Mm. fucking insane like she is like to sound really sexist she's just like sex on a stick man i don't know what's going on yeah well it's funny because david lynch talked about how he sees her as this great you know kind of feminine strong character right yeah and a lot of people talk about her you know and more of this victim and you know, all of these men using her to their will. And that that's another one of those kind of David Lynch. What's interesting dynamics. too is like she's she's sort of like uh, the Uma Thurman for David Lynch. Like mm-hmm. if you chart her career, like she's done a lot of work with him and she is like she's one she like she broke her nudity clause for this. Like she apparently yeah. refuses to do nudity and nudity in movies and she broke it for this flick. Like she yeah. says, I'll do it for and him. It's like it's not even like, you know. We'll just kind of do like a couple shots, like a no. a wide angle cover of a Walmart novel glamour shot. Like they're <laughs> no, they get it's in there. It's, like this, is, there. this must have been hard and serious. And then you know Lynch is in front of the camera, like blasting colors all over them. Like this, it's intense, man. And but that's what I mean. There's this real, true, like you feel it with these two. And right. and, and I'd highlight two things I loved about this romance too. Is I love the the scene at the metal club, right, where it's like let's go dancing. Right. You know, they're this high energy kind of couple that just are on the same page. And when he's crooning to her, oh, you yeah. know, I mean, Nicolas Cage just dropping this like, you know, he whoops this dude. He, you know, gives a D.O. to the band and then he's crooning and he they really do make it feel like you hear this, you know, sentiment love all the time. Right. Like the only two people in the world. And it feels that way for them. Yeah. It, you it, know, and it's it's true. And then they do this other thing with the match and the cigarette and the house fire. That just there's fire all over this movie and it's just like raw passion and heat. Yeah. Like yeah. when you're watching the movie, we were talking about this, right? You feel the heat. Mm-hmm. You feel the titillation. You feel you smell the this the frames. Yeah. The smell <laughs> of this the smell of this movie is like it's it's it comes right off the screen. Like there's something about and I don't know if that's like a thing like this happens every time I watch a movie, especially like from directors who really love the environment they're in. Like this is like a Texas thing. Like when people are doing stuff in the South or in Texas and they understand that they're in the South and Texas, like they want shit to just drip off the screen. Like yeah. you literally want to like walk up to the, to your TV or the movie theater screen and like run a finger down and it's just got, you got sweat all over it. Like you want all right. of this kind of thing. Well, you immediately are transported to like, Everyone who's worth their salt and has been lucky enough knows that sex. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's it's a it's just a subtext that, you know, if you're lucky enough to have been there, you are immediately more fixated into this movie than ever. Um, you know, but that's cool. And and I love the fire thing, right? Because it seemingly is just this weird lynch thing. Mm-hmm. But what I was struck by this time, I didn't remember this, but I love the going from the big house fire, which killed her dad, right. into the cigarette, right? And there's this brilliant scene where they're talking about which brands they smoke and how they all smoke their mother's brands. And their mother's kind of met tragic ends. Right. You know, Nicolas Cage's mom is like, well, she was already chewed up by lung cancer. So by four, I'm smoking. Right. You know, and she smokes her mom's brand. And what I realized is this big house fire, right? This is the biggest moment of trauma in both of their lives to date. And then you you smash cut that or it's like that shot, right? That big burning shot. With the the match strike and then the cigarette, it's it's a small way to personalize the horror of these people's lives. Yeah, and they share this bond over this huge horrific moment through these small little micro traumas that these cigarettes do, right? And it, it gives them this extra cohesiveness as a couple. That I was like, that's just such next level visual storytelling, right? Because yeah. it mean, comes off as yeah. just one of those that's big like style thing things, but it's such a than, fucking. I think- most directors and when he's right. left to his own devices to right. do it, it's great is his 
visual storytelling is some sort of next level metaphor. Like he's always doing these little pastiches or these little passes and little moments within his movies. Like that's a great example. The but other not, one I mean, he does like, this the, like the one four I love times, is right? the beginning of Blue Velvet, where like yeah. you see the yeah. the beautiful visage of the town, and then literally in the like you go in the grass, and there's fucking just like just maggots eating constantly. Like yeah. that's like this is something he does all the time, and I love right. David Lynch for making these kinds of movies where he's well, just it, he wants to he wants to let he's he's letting the medium do what the medium does best. He doesn't need actors to say things on camera for people to understand what they're there for. It's really I mean, especially in the early like late 80s early 90s, David Lynch, like that was the kind of filmmaking where I was like, god damn, dude. Like this is like especially once I was in college watching it, you're like this is the kind of filmmaker that just he should be making all kinds of crazy movies. And now he's of course just making crazy TV, but you know, that's fine. But I love that. I love that aspect of how David Lynch does that. Yeah, man. Uh, I think this is the thing, right? This movie could just get lumped into that bin of kind of the cinema of cool thing that was going on at the time. Right. But but this, to me, is where Lynch separates a little bit. Um, you know, that repeated over and over visual of the house burning, mm-hmm. the cigarette, the matches. I mean, that takes balls to just keep showing that same motif over and over again. But he knows... It has such a visceral, primal reinforcement effect on what he's showing you that he just keeps doing it, man. And most people don't have the guts to do that once, let alone this many times as he like he's doing in this movie. Yeah, I feel like David Lynch's strength as a filmmaker is about approaching you with the visceral nature of what life is. Strange to put it that way, but I feel like that's really kind of where as weird and odd as things are when he does certain things, I think that his main strength is um, taking all that weirdness and distilling it down into the baser parts of what it is, which is either, you know, uh, lust, desire, passion, hatred, fear, like all these like baser, all these basic emotions. He does such a good job of, kind of like layering on top of them and layering on top of them and layering uh, layering and layering until finally like the metaphor is buried so deep like the the baser emotion is buried so deep that the metaphor becomes really the thing you respond to and i think in this case is definitely those continuous cutaways like that like that's a really fascinating motif so but you're wrong though what makes him the best is his script writing when nicholas cage <laughs> says i had a boner with a capital o <laughs> I actually had to write that down on my paper like that to visually see what it looked like. I was like, awesome. Boner. <laughs> Sorry. I, said, I was like, is it the, uh, uh, oh, I don't know. Boner. No, but that's what I mean. It's, it's just awesome. It's just awesome. Um, There are some other cool things in their relationship though, right? Like it's not all great. <laughs> like Ooh. there's the part when we find out that Nicolas Cage has been harboring the secret that he witnessed the fire that killed her father. Yeah. Her mother said that her father did it himself. It seems now this was a hit. And we know that this was a murder between her and Santos. We never learned the backstory as to why the mom and Santos killed the dad. No. Um, But it's his big break. And you get the feeling that Laura Dern, again, she has this questionable memory. Like, well, mama said. But you get the feeling she suspected something else throughout this entire experience. And then she comes back with a secret of her own very soon, which is, I can't even say it out loud. I they, love that. They scene, throw in man. the super horrific, just extra abortion scene, which was 
no need for that, right? The through the magnifying glass, like woof. Boop. Boop. Uh, but the I the the thing where she hands him the card, right? The I'm pregnant card, mm-hmm. as she's been chain smoking for the whole fucking movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's these weird. They keep giving them all of these obstacles, in even though they break, man, they do find their way back. Yeah, they always find their way back, and it it strengthens the bond a lot. That because this is the point of the movie where it gets really afraid, right? Like, don't go with Bobby Peru. Uh, he's in jail. Will she wait on him? You know, will she keep the baby? Right. And at the end, we kind of get this fucking weird La La Land ending. You think? Right. I don't know if I felt I wasn't like he sings "Touch Me Tender" or whatever, or "Love, Love, me, Love tender, me Tender," the song he would only sing to his wife after leaving his wife and child, getting assaulted, and then running back. I mean, but I don't know if I'd equate it to all La that La aside, Land, but I get, I get, I get what you're saying. Like, it is this like well, sort no, of like. Well, no, because I liked it, so it can't be La La Land. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's sort of this. Sort of, I don't know. Like, love me tender. Like, there's so many Elvis Presley references in this movie, particularly just Nick Cage's performance. But like, he speaks like Elvis Presley the entire movie. Like, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that that's how it goes. But. I I feel like his his whole thing towards the end, like it's 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 something something it's less like about it's less La La Land. I think that La La Land's throwing me off. I just felt I felt very. <laughs> it, oh, I got you on tilt now. This is where I dropped the kill blow. <laughs> it felt very. I mean, it's weird. This is where I tell you it was actually Steel Magnolias. No, <laughs> What's weird? Like it's strange because to me, when I see it. When I'm looking at that, like it almost is kind of sweet how it how it ends. Like it ends in this really kind of like cute in 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 like the most David Lynch way he could do something like this. That's how it end, that's how it like appears to me. That's how it kind of comes off. No, I I think it's cute. That's what I mean. It's it's not the end of La La Land. It's the part where you know where they're up on the mountain, like skating oh, around. Oh, you're it's saying the happy part of it. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, I okay, that would make but sense. But yeah, I mean, that's what I mean, though. We don't know that things are going to work out any better. And honestly, Nick Cage leaving her might have been the best thing. She had gotten her act together, right? She had seem- seemingly. There's this other great image in their ending story, right, where she throws the water on the picture of her mom, and her mom dissolves. Yeah. As the Wicked Witch, right? It, it's this kind of banishment of this this protector and this this liar figure. She's very complicated in her, her daughter's life. Right. Um, but now you see her. She's kind of this full-force woman, and she's not hiding behind the mask. And what Lynch does that I love in this part that reinforces it, this is the first and most naked and vulnerable version of the mother we see. Right. And instead of this kind of big villainous, you know, southern debutante, she kind of just looks like this alcoholic disheveled robe lady yeah well and it's I mean, really very sad as she like screams into the void and she's just kind of banished or you know banished even from her daughter's life she's just right. gone she's just sitting there screaming into the void um at the wreckage she made of her own life right i i really like it's interesting i like the way you put that how the water hits her like it's interesting because the end of this movie has like the glenda the good witch thing after he gets knocked yeah he gets knocked the fuck out he has this like vision where she's like, you know, don't give up. Don't. What is the line? It's a uh, don't let love. Don't let don't turn away from love, sailor. Is that the line? Yeah. Think, don't 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 turn away from turn, love. Don't, I think is what don't she turn says. away from love. Like it's interesting because the end of this movie kind of has this like sort of 
like, yeah, so she dissolves into nothingness. And Glenda the Good Witch is telling, like, basically, like, the guy who's the scarecrow and the tin man combined into two, into one person, like, <laughs> hey, like, you know, Dorothy's out there. Go get her. You know, it's a really fascinating. Again, it's just like, it's such a strangely happy thing for David Lynch to approach. Yeah. Because it starts off with the Con Air ending, right? <laughs> yeah. He's meeting his kid out of jail. He has a stuffed animal. Yeah. Then he gets, you know, he runs away. He's he's still running, you know. I'm wild at heart. That's what he says. Like, you know, I can't, I don't want to wreck what she has, which is actually, while he's doing the worst thing, it's kind of for this very sweet notion, right? That he's yeah. some kind of, you know, I never had parental guidance. I was lost by the world. It's oddly you know, chivalrous. I want her to be okay, right? He sees in her a difference, a new yeah. woman. Well, it's like that bad guy chivalry. It's the thing that I like the yeah. most about, like, the anti-hero story is like, it's the thing that I love about H.I. McDonough too, is like H.I. McDonough does bad things because he's not compelled to, but because he has the best intentions. It's just what he knows how to do. Like, yeah, those are the things that I, that's the thing I love the most about. I feel like this is actually a thing that happens a lot of time in Nicholas Cage characters. Like, and this is the thing I like the most about the times he plays heroes is Nicholas Cage does, like the he he is the epitome of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like yeah, well, all of his best roles are like that, right? Yeah. Like The Rock is not like that. That's a great movie, but it's not such a great right. Nicolas Cage all the time. But because he's just playing like a straight, right? But Cameron yeah. Poe, Cameron Poe's the same way. Cameron Poe does the best yeah. thing he can, and he's doing the best he can as an as a convict on Con Air. Uh, yeah, sailors the same way at the end of this, at least at the end of the movie. Um, yeah, Ben Sanders is the same. Ben way. Sanderson's the same way. Like that's Sanderson, the best yeah. he can do. Though. Like this is like why Nicolas Cage is so great. Is it's interesting. He does such a diverse aspect. Of, there's such a diverse aspect to his career, but really he plays kind of the same general antihero in a lot of movies, and he does it to such a perfect degree that he's able to turn it up and down however he needs to. Like. You have Cameron Poe in Con Air, who's kind of playing the straight man a lot of the time, and then you have you have Sailor, who I think is like the most Nicolas Cage character ever seen. Down to like the guy he plays in Moonstruck, even the guy he plays yeah. in Moonstruck is a fucking scumbag with a hand with, yeah. with a hand missing, who you find out is like kind of the guy with a heart of gold, another guy with a heart of gold, you know? Yeah, but that's what I mean. I I, I like the kind of optimistic ending i don't know if you feel this way but i feel like it works for them it does because the whole time i don't know but i think the whole theory of the movie right is because again they go to this wizard of oz constantly yeah and and as a A a viewer you can only make one of two assumptions right either in the david lynch movie they're trapped in oz and can't get out right or they're trapped in kansas and can't escape kansas like there's no tornado coming for them and it could go either way. You could make a good argument, right? I just because when he goes to jail and he gets out, mm-hmm. everything becomes much more normalized, yeah. right? Until we see Glinda, the mom is not as scary. Laura Dern is a housewife now, right? right? It just feels a little. He feels out of place in that ending. Yeah. So is this him returning back to Kansas from Oz or vice versa? I mean, and because to me the tragedy, because uh, it's so weird and Lynchian that you're like that has to be Oz, right? right All those people right. are the flying monkeys. Well, you know, and her mom's the witch, obviously. Well, I think that's like the that's the trick of David Lynch too is what his abilities are as a filmmaker is to make you question the sincerity or the cynicism of something like The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, like something as yeah. earnest and true as The Wizard of Oz in a movie about 
star-crossed lovers and gangsters right. and <laughs> dudes with terrible teeth who blow their terrible teeth who blow their heads off like all these yeah. kinds of terrible real world things that happen in the movie and then it ends in this sort of sweet saccharine wizard of oz way like right nicholas or nicholas cage and david lynch are playing with you saying like do you want to believe that this is sincere or do you want us to just do you want to go to that blue velvet place and make this as cynical right. as possible well i mean i guess that's the thing right as an audience member are you a person who thinks that an unknown fantasy world is more scary or you know being stuck in the mundane like being stuck in kansas right that the great scene that exemplifies this wizard of oz motif they run through the movie is is obviously and this is the best Bobby Peru scene, right? Is his like sexual assault yeah. of Luna in the room, right? But after this disgusting fucking just breaking down of a human, yeah, she's sitting there by herself clicking the heels mm -hmm. and they don't work, right? So to me, that strikes me as Dorothy trying to go back. Yeah, maybe it's. Do you think right? it's her trying to go back? I think it may be she's trying but in to get the, out in the of movie, Oz. That's the thing. In the movie, she gets the slippers in Oz and clicks them to go home. So to me, the, the Lynchian adventure, the road trip part is Oz, right? She left on this adventure with this guy. Right. And then she's crashing back down to Kansas in the end, right? And that's yeah. when the mother loses her witchly facade. And so to me, that's kind of the fun part is you could do it both ways. To me, the movie is Oz and you're trying to escape back. Yeah. I right? would, she's I would been on her that. adventure and through that adventure, she meets you know, enough horribleness that she's ready to go back in that yeah. moment. I think that Bobby um, Peru scene is like the pinnacle of that. Bobby movie. Peru is probably just the most memorable character. <laughs> like, I like the mom a lot, but most people you would talk about Bobby Peru from this. movie. Ironically, Defoe fucking dominates this movie. Yeah. Ironically, Willem Dafoe as Bobby Peru might be grosser than most Willem Dafoe characters. Like, I've seen a lot of disgusting yeah. Willem Dafoe in my life, and this might be the grossest one. Well, he just saunters out of the room, seemingly filming a porn with these this <laughs> menagerie of kind of right? really large women. And then everyone he meets, you seem like he might sexually assault them. Like, it's yeah. very scary. Like, but the scene with Laura Dern and, and David Lynch talked a lot about, like, the precarious tight wire walk of this scene. Mm -hmm. And it's man, I mean, it is such a it's just fucking insane the way he. Is so aggressive, but he's trying to make her come to him, right? Give himself that little yeah, yeah. out. But at the same time, you're, you're, it's not an out because Bobby Peru is holding no concept that he might be an okay guy anymore. <laughs> right, you know, right. he, he's such a weird um, primal character in this. And he, he walks that line of funny and just fucking terrifying psychopath who doesn't understand the nature of the effect he's having on people, right? right? So after he does that, fuck me, fuck me, say fuck me, fuck yeah. me, fuck me. And Laura Dern finally caves, right? Mm -hmm. Relents. And we know she's already a survivor of an assault. Then he's just like, maybe later, see ya. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it's like all it's this power move. Like, that's what it's about is, like, the power you have over someone for that. Like, yeah. And I think that's – and, again, like, that's the best – I think with the Oz theory, that's the best version of, like, imagine – imagine Dorothy like sitting in the Emerald city and like one of the flying monkeys came in and did that. And you're like, wow, Hey, this is not a children's film anymore, but also like, <laughs> um, you yeah, know, it was precarious to begin with. This was for children, <laughs> but now I know for sure. But like, that's, that's exactly what it is. Like, that's the last straw. Like she wants to go home. So she clicks her heels. Like, I really like that. That's a good thing. I like the Oz theory. That's cool. 
Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is in the movie is you're kind of looking around and you can see who the Wicked Witch is and, you know, see her her people she's traveling down the road with. Nicolas Cage kind of has this scarecrow vibe. I mean, I mean, he could be really any one of them. Right. But there is no, there's no wizard. I think that's kind of the part of it, too, is there's this, this is the land of Oz, but there's no one coming to give them an easy way out. Right. You know, and that, that kind of gets to the, you know, this is a wild, this world is wild at heart and weird on top, right? Like that would summarize Oz as well. Yeah. But the, the not having the guy at the end of the road, mm-hmm. I think that's also kind of the message of that's, that's when the movie breaks and we come back to Kansas, yeah. right? Like there's, there is no fairy tale ending for a lot. Well, of there's this. no one behind the curtain pulling strings. Like you yes. are the, you are in charge. Like that's where the that's where like the real world lynchian stuff comes back in which is like you are in charge of your own destiny like you are your own wizard like you have to yeah. choose to be who you are which is why when sailor gets out you know lula has made the choice she's a housewife and she's a mother and she's this and that and she's choosing to stay in kansas she's not going to go to oz because she doesn't need to and the sailor decides i belong in oz because I'm not, I belong in Oz because I'm too I'm wild, so to speak I'm you know wild at heart like that's what that is I deserve to be in Oz right not Kansas right well you see uh fucking goddamn I just forgot pussy grabber very presidential uh <laughs> Willem Dafoe <laughs> right so old pussy grabbers over there and his fucking grotesque pantyhose face mask yeah and you see in Bobby Prudhoe that there's there's no He's not worried about any of this extra stuff, man. No. He's just, he's like a fucking walking hard on. He's a get in, get out. And even out. when he walks outside and the cop is just going to fucking murder him, he just has this smile on his face, man, and his head explodes. Yeah. Which, and, you know, ugh. to me, that's, that is the wild at heart, weird, weird on the top, well, you know? Like, the thing, he's a great summation of this world. The thing that throws me too in that scene is his head blows off. You see it fall to the ground and like Nicolas Cage, like, sailor's take on that he goes poor bastard like that's how he feels like within the context of that scene this is a guy who's double crossed him like Mm -hmm. gave him a gun full give him a gun full of nothing yeah and sexually assaulted sexually assaulted his (laughs) girl and he still feels bad for him because using our metaphor like he feels bad because he never he can't see beyond oz Oz is the only place he's willing to live yeah. in. He's never and, trying to And they for say else. that too at one point, right? Like, you don't always reach the Emerald City. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's just, it's such a fascinating mix of kind of fantasy and reality. Like, it feels very real, but through the course of, you know, the crystal balls and the witches, um, there's that crazy scene in the desert where they just happen upon this car accident. Oh, yeah. That, like, the, the omen. She has, like, yeah. The, like, I, I was reading kind of the I try to read the um, I try to read the IMDB and the Wikipedia page and I never really saw that as like a bad omen I guess I never really thought of it that way for her yeah well to me it was this moment of them they're kind of on this you know yellow brick road fantasy romance journey right they're just going to places and pound right. town and everything's great <laughs> this is one of the first moments that they they see this you know almost this Saint Elmo's fire if you will that kind of pulls them off the path. Because before that, we see this, right? The world is encroaching. The news right. is broadcasting all this bad stuff. And she's like, just play me music. Right. She, they literally get off the yellow brick road and just slam dance, right? And it's amazing. Nicholas Cage flips out of the car 
It's badass, but that's like the fun fantasy. Right. This time they stop and they they're like, "Oh my god, she died right in front of us. Why did she have to do that?" Right. This these were also travelers on this path, right? Mhm. You know, they had their own cigarettes to burn, if you will. And and to me it was just kind of this fun pull you out for a second and just remind you that all of this is always precarious. Yeah. And to me it was just it was such a just emotionally fun scene to do not that any of that is fun per se you know what i mean like no, yeah. I know it's what you're fun saying, to though. stop and do that deep dive i was like wow this is just fucking brilliant it's interesting filmmaking. to do that in a movie especially that's a david lynch movie that you deep dive that quickly into something um that deep without any sort of like facade over it because again he doesn't work in direct metaphor like he's so right specific it's really interesting right and again the as the girl's dying, right? Audrey from Twin Peaks, she's just, you know, where's my makeup, my makeup, my makeup? Like, she's worried about maintaining right. her her mask as she's dying. It, it's just, but to me, that's the thing, right? This movie walks between harsh realities and romantic fantasies, you know, kind of heavy metal music video awesomeness. It's It's just this really fun mix of style and powerful visual storytelling to... You know, which is essentially is just this kind of Shakespearean, um, you know, two kids who have a hard road to love. Right. And I I don't know that it ends well for them. Right. If, if there's anything you learn from the movie is that I, I think it's that, you know, you never hit the Emerald City. And I don't know if that means it's a it's a bad omen, per se, as you were talking about, you know. I mean, are we okay just living in the Munchkin Village? Like, that might be as close as any of us get to this fucking mythical Emerald City and a guy behind the, the drapes. Right. But to me, it's a it's a fairly optimistic ending. Oh, no, totally. I mean, it, it, it ends like a fairy tale, like, so to speak. Yeah. Like, that's really kind of where the movie becomes... It's weird. It's not this union of reality. I, I guess it is. It's like, it's the way a movie would end he made the right choice, so to speak. Like you, 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 you honor the choice that sailor makes at the end of the movie. Uh, not, not necessarily that he like, you know, does bad things and like it literally careens off, you know, often in oblivion, but like he decides to sing that song to his wife and like you honor the romance of the moment. I think that's the thing that yeah. I like. Well, he's, he's just saying in that moment, like I surrender to you fully, right? right. Like we are, we are one again. Um, you know, and it takes us back to those kind of sweaty hotel room scenes. And it's not always just about the sex. It's about the oneness, right? Like Laura Dern even says, you know, or Lula says, you just, you listen, you pay attention. You know what I mean? Like he, he's not just some guy who's on this like ego trip. Like they, they are very simpatico. Right. And, and, and that to me is the end is he just, he submits to the whole thing. Um, you know, and, and I think that like submitting to the journey, that's, that's the best you can give to anyone else, let alone yourself. Absolutely. Uh, so to me, it's a fairly optimistic ending um, for people who show nothing but poor decision-making <laughs> skills and that they're surrounded by horrible people all the time. I think it's a very optimistic ending for what normally equates to like Lynchian macabre sadness. So it's kind of nice. Well, that's what I mean, right? I think this stuff has all of the things that make David Lynch the best but in a more easily palatable uh, way of showing that, right? Yeah. So it, the delivery system is more palatable to, like, the average audience. Like, my mom could watch this and probably dig it, whereas she would not do that with some of his other work, right? Yeah, no. Um, and I, I think it does so well. Like, just the powerhouse performance. 
When you put Nicolas Cage in a movie surrounded by such great performances and unusual characters, he fucking shines. Yeah. Because one of the things he does is he presents weirdness and madness without having to go all the way over the top all yeah. the time. He, so when he just feels at home amongst these fucking creeps and weirdos, it adds a lot to whatever he's doing in any movie. Yeah, he's, I mean, within the confines of what seems to be like this most controlled David Lynch movie, he flourishes as this like almost like it David Lynch didn't even have to write the character like it's not even written it's just who Nicolas Cage is and that's the beauty of Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage is he's malleable in the way that David Lynch needs an actor to be malleable right well that's what I mean he he is exactly the metaphor of fire right, right. Like there are the big they're the the flames and the cigarettes and whatever there's also that nice scene when him and Lulard is laying on bed with that little candle mm-hmm that little red candle, right? It's this moment of romance. And to me, that's what Nicolas Cage is in this movie is he can be that kind of warm, you know, life-giving uh, light and energy from a fire. But he's also burning it down, dude, and fucking pointing bloody finger at old ladies. I feel like you could. Uh, uh, you it's could, amazing. You could say that for all of uh, all of Nic- all of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. So to wrap up Wild at Heart, man, I just I love the mech like Lynch and Cage are a match made in heaven. Right. Yeah. Their, their styles and way of presenting are perfect together. And I think this movie is just so fucking fun and interesting. And for a movie that has as much heaviness as this, to still be such a fun adventure mm-hmm. is a pretty tough tough thing to pull off. Yeah. What I would um, ask you is, that's what Wild at Heart is. Give me a brief synopsis of Nicolas Cage now having done this journey through his work brief synopsis of nicholas what do you love about him how would you explain him to the aliens coming saying who is your greatest actor yeah i mean honestly i would say if you like someone who can show you the broad range of you like the broadest range of human emotion but not shrink down to the size of nothing but still give you what you need like nicholas cage embodies the things that most actors spend their entire career trying to actually be on screen like he is that stuff whether it's a fucking, you know, madman on the run on the road for revenge. Uh, um, you know, a guy down on his luck, like a guy down on his luck, with, who gets to meet Cher, like all these kinds of things. Like, there's a ton of different through the four movies or five movies we've watched now. Like Nicolas Cage's ability to take that Kabuki style and make us all believe in it. Like, not even have to sit here and say like, oh wow, he's really overacting. Like. Nicolas Cage is not overacting when he does these things. What Nicolas Cage is doing is delivering a performance true to the character. And I think that's the thing that I would say is the most important aspect of what Nicolas Cage provides us as an actor is he's the truest to the piece of art he's putting out there. Right. Well, in in his own words, right, he talks about this switch from like old large film cameras to smaller digital, right? He's like, now... Cameras are flying around everywhere and they can catch every small moment and this and that. It's it's much easier to give what seems like right. this nuanced and earnest performance. He's like, I flur I flourish when I have to do the big thing, right? His whole theory is not to be naturalistic, but again, like you said, overacting, maybe. You could make that argument, but to me it's it's a style choice, right? Like Nicolas Cage can do any kind of acting you want. And that is one of his great traits. But what I like is that in the big performance where others would drown in the well of overacting um he 
always feels like he fits. Like even something as absurd as Mandy yeah. or a living cartoon like Raising Arizona, whatever level he takes it at, he feels right for the world. Yeah. Even if the movie Mandy doesn't seem believable, he feels like he belongs in that world. Well, it's- um, and yeah, so to me, it's the range of, and also just the fact that you can get him in a movie like Mandy, not a lot of actors on that level do those kind of projects. So I think, that that ability to do any kind of film and he's one of those guys too he loves film like he's really very knowledgeable student yeah. of the genre um and so his ability to take weird and challenging sometimes terrible uh <laughs> movies and scripts you know just because something lights him up you get to see him in so many weird different arenas that show you all of these extra abilities he has right he's just this he's the amalgam he's the like living avatar of what an actor is it's strange i don't know how to like like every actor who says they're an they're an actor like he is the version that they're trying to be somehow yes like that's Wait, this is how i describe it right he is this fucking bigger than life guy that everyone wants to be best friends with and be around we're fascinated by we'd watch on reality tv trying to be one of us yeah those are the best Nicolas Cage movies I found is where he's trying to be a normal man, but it's impossible for him. So to wrap this up, right, we're going to do some quick list. Sure. So right off the bat, give me your scene that you're like, that is the most Nicolas Cage scene, right? Think about all the movies we watch. What's the one or even two where you're like, these would be the ones you would show to someone to be like, this is why you should watch Nicolas Cage. Uh, the first one is definitely that snakeskin jacket thing in Wild at Heart. Yeah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) there are not a lot of actors who could sell that sort of, like, really bad expository dialogue. But, like, make me go, huh, I need to pay attention to this man's journey with this jacket. Like, like most actors would be like, no, I don't give a shit about anything you're doing. But that would be the one. Um, and then the other one, are we only using the movies we watched? No, do whatever you want. Do whatever I want. The other one I think would be uh, Nicolas Cage as Castro Troy in Face Off. There's, um, yeah, because Nicolas Cage has to be (laughs) Nicolas Cage doing John Travolta as Nicolas Cage, also being the actor Nicolas Cage. Like the like the levels by which he has to act in that movie are absolutely fascinating, and I'd say there are. It's it's the first scene where he has to pretend like he's Castro Troy in jail where you're like, wow, this guy yeah. is acting on a very different level than the rest of the people in this movie. Not just because it's a fucking insane movie, but because he understands that he has to be this character he set out to be played by another guy within the body of that guy. I, <laughs> that is such a fucking banana. <laughs> uh, for me, like, let's see, what are the ones? Uh, the opening of Wild at Heart, the bloody staircase metal fight for sure. Sure. Uh, the cradle robbing scene in Raising Arizona will definitely stick with me a lot. Yeah. Oh, I'd, um, I'd also go with the huggy scene. Yeah, the huggy scene is great. There's something about that cradle robbing scene, that extra kind of comedic madness of him in that mm-hmm. that I really adore. Um. I don't know. Those are probably the two that most jumped to my head. Any scene in adaptation where he's talking to himself. Oh, yeah. But pretty much the entirety of adaptation. I I love him in the weatherman too. Absolute Nicolas Cage scene. You got one? One. uh, I mean, it's it's fucking hard. It is. Because I mean, I think you would make a really good argument that 
him and Ving Rhames and bringing out the dead when they crash the ambulance. Like, that's really good K. Uh, no, I'm going heavy metal opening wild at heart. Nice. Okay. I think I think I just got to do it. To me, that's it's got strange. All like, the cage stuff I like. I think Wild at Heart was like kind of my least favorite pick on this, but it also has the most Nicolas Cage moments I've seen in a movie in a long time. Oh yeah this this might actually be my favorite of the Nicolas Cage movies we covered. Yeah, I really like. I, I, I really liked Mandy. Man. I'm a huge David Lynch guy. Yeah. Mandy is the shit and is perfectly designed for me. Right. And may grow on this list. Um. Okay. So we're going to do cage flicks and cage performances. Top five cage flicks, all right? I'm going in no particular order. Con Air, Wild at Heart, Raising Arizona, Adaptation, and uh, Mandy. In, Barely edging out the rock. In no particular order? Yeah. I'm going to go Adaptation. Or is it the rock? The rock is so good. No, I'm going to go Mandy over the rock. Yeah. It was designed for me. I have to appreciate that. I'm going to go... <laughs> Adaptation, Con Air. No, sorry, not Con Air. Adaptation, uh, Face Off. Face um, Off, gotcha. Uh, you're in the Weatherman, or no, uh, the Family Man. I really like him in that movie. He's the Family Man. He's very, wow. very good in that movie. It's the weirdest version of his like normal guy routine. Yeah, but I really well, we're doing his performances too. I'm talking about movies. Oh, like his mo overall movie. Oh, sorry, I was doing yeah. performances. That's my bad. Um, okay. Overall movies, I'd say adaptation, uh, adaptation, adaptation, and adaptation. No, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Honestly, the list you did is the exact list I would do. To be honest with you, yeah. I might replace Con Air with Face Off, but uh, yeah. See, Con Air and The Rock are like equally. Yeah, I'd in say that they're a little interchangeable, me. but I think my list would probably be the exact same one you did because honestly, yeah, those movies are just top notch, man. Yeah. All right. So for performances, I find this so much harder. Oh, yeah. Because for me, I've got Adaptation and Raising Arizona mm -hmm. are the two absolute locks. Right. And then for me, Leaving Las Vegas is not on mine. Right. Even though that's his Oscar performance. So uh, I know people will be upset there. I think. Man, it's it's hard because I would say probably. You're looking, you need something for like weird cage, right? So do you bringing out your dead or bad lieutenant? That's kind of the same area. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I would say wild at heart. I would probably put on mine, even though it's kind of a similar side performance mm -hmm. to raising Arizona. Um, And then, yeah, maybe bad lieutenant and yeah, I, I don't know after that. I don't know. What's your five? I think I do uh, adaptation, raising, face off, uh, the family man, and um, <laughs> yeah, I think I go Mandy actually. Okay. Yeah. See, Mandy, I think is a great movie. I don't love him as much versus other. Okay. So here we go. I'm gonna do raising Arizona, adaptation, Moonstruck. Ooh. Moonstruck's going to make mine because I like that crazy-ass version of Cage. Right. Uh, then I'm going to go Bringing Out the Dead for performance. Yeah. And Bad Lieutenant. That's going to be my five. It's good. I like it. But that's what I mean. To me, that's like, you know, do you like long blowjobs or short <laughs> blowjobs? Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to be to be quibbling. Yeah. 
any Nicolas Cage to me is better than pretty much any other actor. Yeah, Nicolas Cage is really the pizza of movies. Like, good yeah. or bad, it's going to be good no matter what. It's pizza. Like, it can be wild. It can be unconventional. Yeah. But you'll still eat it and love it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, guys, this was Nicolas Cage month. The pod got caged, and we never won out. It was delightful. What a fucking treasure that man is. Hit us up, guys. What's your favorite Nicolas Cage scene, man? Send us video. Yes, please. Uh, your top three movies, three performances. Hit us up. Um, next month, guys, this is October. We are going all out on the workload for you guys to bring you all the horror movies. First up, we're doing body horror, right? So this is The Fly, From Beyond, stuff like that. Also, we're going to be um, doing Halloween when it drops. The new Halloween we're super stoked for. Mm-hmm. And we're doing some other uh, guests are going to help us do movies that scared the shit out of you as kids. Yep. Which we've already recorded some really fun ones for that, guys. Um, So share these movies with your friends, man. Talk to your friends. See what Nicolas Cage they like. Share the show with them. That's how we'll get more people engaged in, in this conversation. If you can, if you find us where you can leave a rating and a review, please do so. It helps us find more alchemists. Uh, grow this thing out. If you can just share us on your social media, right? Personal engagements with your friends, man. We want to be their friends too. All the good stuff you guys do for us, we thank you and we're seeing it. Uh, but we're still asking for more because we're selfish like that. <laughs> Please. Always. I'll always. All right, guys. More. That's it for the Film Alchemist. I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. You got me hotter than Georgia ass, <laughs>